On the afternoon of 4th of July weekend in 1991, Douglas Wagg Jr. rode off on his bike in hopes of joining in on some of the festivities. But Doug never made it home, and the next time he was seen was as he lay across a stretch of railroad tracks under the dim headlamp beam of an oncoming train. In this season of Counterclock, investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra is turning back the clock to dive into exactly how Doug died and how he ended up on the tracks so far from his home. But while Delia's investigation for this season of Counterclock started as a look into one man's suspicious death, what she uncovered is so much more. A string of crimes, a growing number of mysterious deaths, and cases so baffling that make this season of Counterclock the most intense investigation yet. Join the Crime Junkie fan club to binge all episodes of Counterclock Season 6 now, or listen to new episodes weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. At 7.20 p.m. on the evening of Tuesday, October 9th, 2012, Lizzie Marriott's phone buzzed next to her. It was Kat from work, checking in on the plans they'd made together earlier that day. Kat invited Lizzie over to her place, the studio apartment she shared with her boyfriend Seth, to watch a movie. Hopping in the shower, be out in 20 minutes, just in case you're out early, Kat sent. At 8.21 p.m., Lizzie texted back, Okie dokie. Just got out of class. Lizzie didn't have a ton of friends in New Hampshire. She'd moved there from Westboro, Massachusetts to her great-uncle and aunt's house in Chester to save a little money on Reuben board while she was in school. She had a part-time job at Target, and that's where she met Kat. Lizzie told her aunt Becky and uncle Tony that she was heading to a friend's house that night and she'd be home no later than midnight. It's a 35-minute drive from the University of New Hampshire campus to Dover, Lizzie stepped into Kat and Seth's apartment building just before 9 p.m. that night. On Wednesday morning, Becky and Tony noticed that their niece wasn't home. Maybe it got late and Lizzie just crashed at her friend's place. But on Thursday morning, there was still no sign of Lizzie. No one has seen Lizzie since that night, October 9th, 2012. But that doesn't mean we don't know what happened to her, or who is responsible. This is the case of Lizzie Marriott. This episode contains descriptions of sexual assault and violence. Please listen with discretion. If you need help, healing, or resources, 
call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE for safe, confidential support. Every photo I've seen of Elizabeth Marriott, or Lizzie as she was better known, shows the beaming teenage girl usually holding some sort of little creature in her hands and presenting it to the camera with pride. Backyard creatures, even the small and the slimy, were precious to Lizzie. Turtles and frogs often benefited from her deeply caring nature. Her mom said she was the kind of person who would stop on the side of the road to help a turtle make it safely to the other side. Lizzie was also a volunteer at the New England Aquarium, a transformative experience that became the inspiration for her college application essay. She was applying to the marine biology program at the University of New Hampshire. She wrote of her mission to, quote, become a prominent figure protecting our oceans and to help others learn the wonders of our surrounding waters, end quote. When Lizzie was at the aquarium, she said, she wasn't seen as a teenage girl. She was an intrepid ocean explorer. It was no surprise when the hardworking and determined Lizzie was accepted to the University of New Hampshire, her dream school. In 2012, 19-year-old Lizzie was a sophomore in the marine biology department. It was only fitting for the woman who had spent her life nurturing amphibians and sea creatures and other wildlife. She was well on her way to becoming the protector of our oceans that she had always dreamed about. The caring, trusting, bubbly, goofy, and silly Lizzie had a long-term girlfriend named Brittany. Though Lizzie moving off to school and being busy with class and work and new friends put a bit of strain on their relationship, they stayed together and they were committed to each other. Lizzie told Brittany about her new friend at work, Kat McDonough. Kat McDonough was fairly well-known around town. She loved acting and was big into the theater scene as a teenager. In 2012, she landed a starring role in Lawrence Hennessy's Last Rites at the Players' Ring, a local theater company in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Her co-star in that production was a man named Seth Mazalia. Seth Mazalia was 11 years older than Kat McDonough. She was just 17 years old when they met. He was 28. Kat was quickly smitten with Seth. As the final curtain fell on last rites, their relationship continued, and it got serious fast. As soon as she turned 18, Kat McDonough moved in with Seth Mazalia, and in a move that concerned everyone who knew her, Kat cut out her entire family in the process. She was still in her senior year of high school. To the public, Seth was an average guy in his late 20s. He had a degree in theater from UNH, and when he wasn't pursuing the stage, Seth was a trained EMT, he worked at Best Buy in Newington, and he taught martial arts. In private, though, Seth's interests were darker. Seth introduced his young girlfriend Kat to his world of bondage, discipline, and sadomasochism. You might know the acronym BDSM. Ropes and harnesses and punishment were typical in their sexual relationship. If consenting adults want to safely participate in your fetishes, kinks, preferences, fantasies, by all means, enjoy. The key words are consenting and adults. 
In an ad placed on a sex website in the summer of 2012, acquired by CBS News from Strafford Superior Court, Kat identified herself as, quote, a nymphomaniac switch, and I switch from slave, sub, dom, so you may never know what mood I'm in, end quote. She wrote that Seth was the dom and master. This is how our household works, end quote. The ad was posted in search of a live-in sex slave. My lord and I are looking to acquire a live-in slave for sexual pleasure and housework, it read. There's been a lot of discussion and testimony surrounding the relationship between Kat McDonough and Seth Mazalia. If the sub and dom roles were at any point reversed, as the ad stated might happen, if Seth had complete control over Kat, through fear or abuse or otherwise, if his dom role bordered or crossed the line into true abuse, beyond consensual kink and fetish play. According to court documents, Seth did discourage Kat from communicating with her family. He discouraged her pursuit of school or work if it meant leaving the state and leaving his sight. He didn't allow her to have any male friends, He monitored her phone and email accounts. Anything Kat wanted to do, she needed to get Seth's permission first. Seth would later say that it was all part of his efforts to protect Kat. She came from an alleged abusive home and she was safer with him. She was safer if she didn't have contact with her family. That's what he said. Now it all raises red flags. The National Domestic Violence Hotline lists Preventing or discouraging you from spending time with friends, family members, or peers as a warning sign for an abusive relationship. Breakthecycle.org says isolation is often a non-physical sign someone might be in an abusive relationship. Not to mention dictating who a person can be friends with, monitoring their phone and email. Whether this was part of a controlling BDSM lifestyle that Kat chose with Seth, or an abusive relationship, the signs are interpreted differently throughout this entire case. The ad Seth and Kat posted on the sex website had no takers. In early August of 2012, Seth and Kat posted another ad in search of a sexual surrogate, as they called it. It was for Seth, while Kat was off to Maine, where she was a counselor at a sleepaway theater camp. Kat did find someone who agreed to fill this role, but the woman backed out at the last minute. Kat said she was ashamed that this plan fell through, and Seth was furious. When she returned home 12 days later, Kat said, Seth took his anger out on her in the form of physical abuse. That next day, Seth texted Kat instructing her that she had to make it up to him. She needed to remedy the frustration she caused by leaving him alone for so long. The text read, quote, You choose a friend. Any of yours will do. And you offer her to me. That I may do anything I wish with her while you watch. End quote. Six weeks later, Kat made those plans to watch a movie at their apartment with her work friend Lizzie.
Lizzie arrived at Kat and Seth's apartment on October 9, 2012, around 8.51 p.m. The cramped studio was incredibly messy. Piles of clothes and open food everywhere, an overflowing trash can, stacks of DVDs and video games, a futon folded out into a bed. But Lizzie had just been there a week before, so she wasn't particularly phased by the state of the place. Seth, Kat, and Lizzie sat around a small table and chatted while a movie played in the background. Kat asked what she wanted to do. They could play Dungeons and Dragons or some video games. They could watch the movie. They could just talk. Or maybe strip poker, they offered. Lizzie considered those options. She was known to be experimental and open, but Kat said she was surprised when Lizzie picked the last option, strip poker. But Lizzie didn't really know how to play. According to court documents I obtained via the State of New Hampshire Supreme Court, Kat and Seth explained how to play the game and introduced a few house rules for their version of strip poker. After several hands, both Kat and Seth were completely nude, while Lizzie remained only in her underwear. At this point, Seth suggested modifying the rules. The person with the winning hand could ask a question or suggest an activity. Kat and Lizzie agreed. Seth won the next hand. Seth asked Lizzie to kiss Kat, but she refused. According to court documents, Lizzie told them both that she was in a committed relationship and she didn't want to kiss Kat. Seth pushed back from the table, effectively ending their game of poker. He threw on a robe, and the two women moved to the floor in front of the futon to watch the movie that had been playing on TV. Seth wasn't used to hearing no, and it was clear he didn't like it. As Kat and Lizzie watched the movie, Seth texted Kat. We painting tonight, he said. Kat replied, your decision, I guess, if you have a plan. Nervous. Painting. It was a code word the couple had used before. What happened next diverges into two very different, yet equally disturbing storylines, but each with the same heartbreaking ending. By 10.56 p.m., Lizzie was dead. On the morning of Thursday, October 11th, Lizzie's father Bob called Uncle Tony. Have you heard from Lizzie, he asked. No, we were about to call you, Tony told him. Bob's next phone call was to police to report his daughter Lizzie Marriott missing. Police quickly pieced together Lizzie's last whereabouts. In the earliest stages of the investigation, police connected with another work friend of Lizzie's a guy named Nate McNeil. Nate had sent Lizzie five text messages in a row, with the first at 11.33 p.m. on October 9th. Lunch tomorrow, he asked. No response. The next day, October 10th, at 1.15 p.m., he texted, A. Again, no response. Three and a half hours later, he sent another. El sizzle, it said. At 7.32 that night, he said, Friend, art thou okay? Finally, on the morning of October 11th, 2012, 
He texted again. Please just let me know you're okay. Everyone is worried. No response. Lizzie's aunt and uncle didn't know the name of the friend that Lizzie had said she was going to see the night of October 9th. But it was through Nate that investigators learned Kat and Seth had plans with Lizzie on the last night anyone saw her. Police went to the Mill Street apartment in Dover to speak with Seth Mazalia and Kat McDonough. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. During the first conversation at their apartment, Kat and Seth acted as confused and worried as police. Yes, she was supposed to come over the night of October 9th, but she never showed up. Kat flashed her phone screen to the police. She had texted Lizzie around 11 p.m. that night, asking if she was still coming over, but Kat never heard back. Police left the apartment, but they weren't buying Kat and Seth's story. On Friday, October 12th, NHPR reported that Lizzie's family announced a $10,000 reward for information in her disappearance. The hashtag FindLizzie started circulating online. Meanwhile, investigators contacted Seth and Kat again. The couple volunteered to go into the police station for questioning. Each was interviewed separately, and each had a different story to tell about that night. Kat doubled down on the story she'd told police the first time, with more details of the planned activities that night. Kat told them that Lizzie was supposed to come over after class, and they were going to go to a graveyard for some ghost hunting. When Lizzie never showed, Kat went to the graveyard on her own. She rehashed the details over and over. After two hours, Kat just stopped talking, and she was free to go. In the other interview room, though, where Seth Mazalia would remain for 11 hours, he revealed a version of events that ended with Lizzie dying on the floor of his and Kat's apartment. It was an accident. BDSM gone wrong. With that new information, the search for Lizzie became the search for Lizzie's body. State police, FBI, and officials from Fish and Game immediately took to the skies and waters and dedicated all their resources to the search and recovery efforts of Lizzie Marriott. On Saturday, October 13, 2012, police arrested 29-year-old Seth Mazalia for the murder of Lizzie Marriott. After Seth's arrest, 
Nate McNeil, the work friend of Lizzie's who also knew Kat, sent her a concerned text. Kat, please tell me you were ignorant of all this. And if you weren't, at least tell me why, Nate wrote. But Kat never responded. Seth was arraigned on Monday, October 15, 2012, on account of second-degree murder. In New Hampshire, second-degree murder is an unplanned intentional killing, or a killing that is caused by a reckless disregard for human life. As Seth Mazzalia's legal team of public defenders began to build his defense, they called Kat in to give a statement. It's during that interview Kat revealed her second version of events from that night. Yeah, Lizzie was there, she said, as Seth had admitted. And it all started with a game of strip poker. After winning that hand of poker, Seth asked Lizzie and Kat to kiss, but Lizzie refused. Instead, Kat said, they decided to dance, and the dancing progressed to sexual contact between all three. When Seth suggested introducing their bondage practices, Kat said Lizzie agreed. It was Kat's first time tying a harness on someone else. In the preceding acts, Kat told Seth's attorneys, Lizzie was accidentally smothered. Listen, I'm honestly not interested in sharing the vivid details of what Kat said went on during this sexual encounter. I think sharing it here would do more harm than good, and it would feel like pandering to lurid curiosity, and that's not why I started this show. So I'll pick up at the point when Seth and Kat realized Lizzie had died. Instead of attempting life-saving efforts, instead of calling an ambulance or running for help, Seth called a friend, a woman named Roberta Gherkin. Roberta and Seth were friends, but Seth also considered Roberta to be a spiritual confidant. He asked Roberta to come over right away, and just after 11 p.m., Roberta and her boyfriend Paul Hickok stepped into Kat and Seth's apartment. Kat was sitting on the kitchen floor crying. Seth was on the futon, and Lizzie's body was on the floor below. Taking in the scene with disbelief, Roberta told Seth to call an ambulance. Seth could only repeat the words, I've gone too far. Roberta later said that she didn't call an ambulance herself because she wanted to give her friend the opportunity to do the right thing. Roberta and Paul left, never once contacting the authorities about what they saw that night or in the days following, not until Seth was arrested. But Seth didn't take the opportunity to do the right thing. In fact, he did quite the opposite. Following Seth's arraignment in October, the investigation continued and the prosecution proceeded to build their second-degree murder case against their primary suspect. In the dumpster at Seth and Kat's apartment complex, detectives found a pair of men's underwear with both Seth and Lizzie's DNA on them. They also collected a pair of black winter gloves and a trash bag containing Lizzie's sweatshirt. For two months, police collected evidence, conducted interviews, and when water conditions allowed, they searched for Lizzie Marriott's remains. But as they assembled the puzzle of Lizzie's last night alive without 
the one final key piece of evidence, a body, it was becoming clear that the story they'd heard from Cat McDonough may not have been the whole truth. The evidence pointed to Cat as an accomplice. Not to mention, she'd already told the defense she was there when Lizzie died. That she participated in the acts that ultimately led to Lizzie's so-called accidental death. On Christmas Eve 2012, police arrested Cat McDonough on charges of hindering apprehension or prosecution and conspiracy to commit hindering apprehension or prosecution, not murder charges. Cat may have agreed to that interview and defended Seth two months prior, but it seemed that the state had plans for Cat in their case against Seth Mazalia. In an exceptional plea deal, Cat McDonough agreed to testify against Seth as the state's key witness. She would have total immunity from charges in the death of Lizzie Marriott if she agreed to tell investigators, along with the judge and jury at Seth's trial, the truth about what happened on October 9, 2012. That was when Cat's story changed for the third time. Her story began again with that poker game, but it didn't end with an accidental suffocation in the process of consensual sex acts. Instead, Kat said, Seth purposely and knowingly strangled Lizzie after she refused his sexual advances. Then, he made Kat help him dispose of her body. According to State of New Hampshire Supreme Court documents, a grand jury indicted Seth Mazalia on seven charges relating to the death of Lizzie Marriott. Along with the lesser second-degree murder charges he was initially arrested on, the state charged two alternative theory counts of first-degree murder, one alleging a purpose to kill and the other alleging a knowing murder while committing felonious sexual assault. He was also indicted on four other charges relating to conspiracy and falsifying evidence. Now, Kat may have been free of murder charges as part of her immunity deal with the state, but she did plead guilty to hindering prosecution, conspiracy, and tampering with a witness, and was sentenced to two years minimum and four years maximum suspended. Still, Cat was set to take the stand as the prosecution's key witness. The trial of Seth Mazalia began on May 27, 2014. Dozens of witnesses testified for the prosecution about Seth Mazalia. New information surfaced as his acquaintances, past partners, old co-workers, and even friends shared what they knew about Seth and his unusual beliefs. The multiple identities he claimed inhabited his mind and the different personas he would embody as a different identity took over. An ex-girlfriend of Seth's shared the horrible conditions she endured during their relationship, the fear she carried with her each day, afraid to leave but terrified of the man she lived with. Before their primary witness took the stand, Another integral witness that held up the prosecution's case against Seth Mazalia was sworn in, Roberta Gherkin. She was the woman who saw Lizzie laying on the floor of Seth's apartment that night. The woman who insisted that he call the police, but never did herself. 
Roberta shared with the jury what she saw that night, the distinctive marks around Lizzie's neck and the discoloration of her face. An expert witness would later testify that these two signs were characteristic of strangulation, not of accidental suffocation. Yet an eyewitness testimony in this scenario can only go so far to prove what happened. There was no body for an autopsy, no conclusive evidence of the cause or manner of death. Still, Roberta and Roberta's boyfriend's testimony proved to be crucial components of the mounting case against Seth. The defense prepared for the prosecution's next witness, Kat McDonough. As she took the stand, it began a 10-day streak of testimony. The prosecution led Kat to recount in full detail what exactly happened. How did Lizzie Marriott die? Again, her story began with the poker game. And again, she explained that Lizzie turned down Seth's suggestion that she kiss Kat. He didn't like hearing no. As the dominating part of their BDSM relationship, he was accustomed to making demands, ordering Kat to do as he pleased, and receiving complete compliance in return. But Lizzie didn't bow to him. And then Seth made another suggestion. He wanted to have sex with Kat while Lizzie watched. The request was clearly more extreme than the first, and Lizzie rejected him again. She had no interest in that idea. As Kat and Lizzie moved to the floor to watch the movie, Seth turned his back on the women. He slipped on a pair of black leather gloves, and he selected a section of cotton rope. And as Kat and Lizzie sat with their eyes trained on the TV, Kat said, quote, That's when he moved up behind her, and he pulled the rope up over her head, and he strangled her. End quote. Kat said she froze. She didn't know what to do. And an unknown amount of time later, but what felt like 10 minutes, Kat said, Lizzie slumped to the floor unconscious. Kat testified that she checked for a pulse, but she didn't find one. Seth called his friend Roberta, but he never called the police. Instead, he encouraged Kat that they were in this together, and Kat, feeling like she had no other option, no one else in the world, no family to turn to, she obeyed his every command. Kat began collecting Lizzie's things from the apartment and put them in plastic bags, and then together, he and Kat wrapped her body in a tarp and placed her in a suitcase. When the zipper failed, they closed it with duct tape and loaded it into the trunk of their car. As they drove towards Portsmouth on back roads, Kat sent that final text to Lizzie, suggesting she never showed up at their apartment. That text that she would use to throw police off their scent. They turned off their cell phones, and they avoided toll booths. Once on Pierce Island, they pushed Lizzie's body into the water. Lizzie was gone. In the following days, Seth and Kat agreed on a version of events that they would tell police. That's why her story changed so many times, she said. Throughout cross-examination, the defense attempted to get Kat to revert to her first story, that Lizzie died as the result of an accidental suffocation during a consensual sex act gone wrong. But Kat was firm in this final version of events. 
While her immunity agreement certainly could have influenced her story, as the defense pointed out, Kat told the jury she was finally telling the entire truth about what happened that night. Seth did not testify in his own defense. The trial stretched over a month until finally the defense rested their case on June 24, 2014. The jury began deliberations and returned with their verdict on Friday, June 27th. Seth Mazalia, guilty for the murder of 19-year-old Elizabeth Lizzie Marriott. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Save big money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. As the now-convicted murderer and rapist Seth Mazalia awaited sentencing, he decided that he'd rather not attend his sentencing hearing. He told his mother in a recorded prison telephone call, quote, It's a waste of my time. I already know what everyone's gonna say there, so why the hell do I have to be there? End quote. He lamented that he didn't want to hear Lizzie Marriott's family, quote, yell and whine and moan. End quote. Seth was referring to the impact statements read by family and friends of the victim. That one official spotlighted chance for Lizzie's mother and father, who are victims in their own sense, to share the true magnitude of the crimes committed and the impact they had on their lives. But Seth's lawyers petitioned the court, as their client requested, asking for Seth Mazalia to be permitted to skip his sentencing, citing the 14th Amendment. However, he did withdraw his bid just hours before the hearing. Seth was in the courtroom as Lizzie's mother and father, holding a photo of their slain daughter, addressed Seth directly for what he did. Bob Marriott stood, and he paced the courtroom carrying that photo of Lizzie, and he said, quote, All the goodness in Lizzie could not save her from you. When you killed her, you cemented your place on the side of evil. End quote. Seth Mazalia was issued the maximum sentence, life in prison without the chance of parole. You know, when I'm in the process of researching and selecting cases for Dark Down East, there are a few things I consider above everything else. First and foremost, I ask myself, can I tell this story in a way that respects the victims, and that will truly honor the human whose life was stolen in such a cruel and heartbreaking circumstance. And then I ask, what do you, my listener, stand to learn from the case, from the victim, and from their life? In this case, 
Lizzie's impact on the world, the bright light that she was, absolutely did not fade out on the day she died. In many ways, Lizzie lived on. Her case became an influential component of new legislation that would ensure families like Lizzie's would always get the opportunity to share their impact statements and directly address the convicted criminal who stole a loved one from them. After Seth's attempt at skipping his sentencing hearing, the Boston Globe reported that New Hampshire actually became the first state in the country to enact a law that requires convicted violent criminals to appear at their sentencing hearings and therefore requiring those criminals to listen to those victim impact statements. Those impact statements are an important part of the healing process. And Lizzie Marriott's family played an integral role in getting that law passed. Seth's time in court wasn't over with his sentencing hearing. As reported by the Boston Globe in October 2014, Seth Mazalia was charged with yet another crime from behind prison walls. Apparently, his superiority complex led him to believe that he was capable of plotting an escape from the county jail while he was still awaiting trial for Lizzie Marriott's rape and murder. A former cellmate of his testified that Seth had asked him to help him get a gun and two cars and disguises that he would use to bust out of police custody on the day he was scheduled to be in court. Seth Mazelia entered a plea of guilty for his prison break plot. In November 2014, Kat McDonough was up for parole. She told them she had spent her days in prison thinking about the, quote, horrible, horrible thing she did, saying, quote, I allowed someone's life to end, end quote. As part of her parole, she said she would move in with her father in the seacoast area of New Hampshire. However, the board felt that the crime was simply too well-known and too sensational that she was too recognizable for that plan to ever work. Regardless, her bid for parole was denied. Kat served a full three-year sentence and was ultimately released on July 15, 2016. In the years following his conviction, Seth Mazalia appealed his conviction and sentence. His attorneys argued that Lizzie Marriott's sexual history should have been introduced at trial. They claimed that the nature of her alleged past consensual sexual activities would have presented reasonable doubt in the case against Seth. That information was previously sealed for the victim's protection, but the defense wanted it to be fair game. As the New Hampshire Supreme Court weighed the appeal, Assistant Attorney General Peter Hinckley said, quote, We're in no way seeking to minimize or downplay the important public right to access, but on rare occasions that constitutional right gives way to other compelling interests. This case, we're saying, is one of those unique, rare cases in which some limited safeguards should be used, end quote. Essentially, the state maintained that the protections afforded to sexual assault victims through rape shield laws that prevent personal information from being shared in criminal proceedings should also extend to appeals. If the New Hampshire Supreme Court ruled that the protections do not apply in the appeals process, it would introduce a potentially catastrophic legal precedent for future rulings across the country. Despite that risk, the New Hampshire Supreme Court ruled that the records be unsealed for Seth Mazalia's appeal. That decision was met with incredible objection by the prosecution 
and by Lizzie's family, as well as dozens of legal and law enforcement and victims' rights organizations. Hearing that dissent loud and clear, the New Hampshire Supreme Court reversed its decision and ruled that the information, Lizzie's alleged sexual history, was irrelevant. The justices pointed to an existing ruling, quote, Consent to sexual conduct with one person in no way implies consent to sexual activity with another. Each decision to consent is a new act, a choice made on the circumstances prevailing in the present, not governed by the past, end quote. Lizzie Marriott's mother says she can't look at the ocean without thinking of her daughter. After the trauma and heartache of the trial, her mother and father, her aunts and uncles, her whole family focused on healing, and they looked for ways to keep the memory and mission of their marine-loving daughter alive. Together, they founded the Lizzie Marriott Intrepid Explorer Fund in honor of those words she wrote in her college application essay. She would be content as an intrepid ocean explorer, she wrote in that piece, a prominent figure protecting our oceans. It was her life's goal. And now a scholarship in her name supports the future of a new budding ocean protector who shares Lizzie's mission to help others learn the wonders of our surrounding waters. Thank you for listening to Dark Down East. I referenced over two dozen sources to tell this story. All my links to sources for this case and others, including links to all individual articles and any original court documents I referenced, are listed in the show notes at darkdowneast.com. After hearing Lizzie's story, I just felt called to make a donation to the Lizzie Marriott Intrepid Explorer Fund. If you too feel compelled to support Lizzie's mission to protect our oceans through a scholarship awarded to an aspiring marine biologist, please visit rememberlizzie.org. Subscribing and reviewing Dark Down East is free, and it not only supports this show, it is the best way to ensure you never miss an episode of Maine and New England True Crime Stories. If you leave a review, let me know where you're listening from. I've been loving seeing all of your hometowns, all these places I know in Maine and New England and beyond. I love knowing where you're listening from. If you have a story or a case I should cover, I would love to hear from you at darkdowneast at gmail.com. Follow along with the show at darkdowneast.com and on Instagram at darkdowneast. Thank you for supporting this show and allowing me to do what I do. I am so honored to use this platform for the families and friends who have lost their loved ones and for those who are still searching for answers in cold missing persons and murder cases. I promise I will not let their names or their stories get lost with time. I'm Kylie Lowe, and this is Dark Down East. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save 